Hey, good morning. Uh, in case I haven't met you before, my name's Eric. I am uh, responsible for giving a little devotion here every Tuesday on Christ's Whole Fast page. And, uh, and so we have been uh, looking at the epistle to the Galatian churches by the Apostle Paul. And, uh, and we're mowing on through. We're in Galatians chapter 4. I hope you all had a good weekend and uh, restful time. I don't know that I would describe my weekend as, <laughs> as restful, but, uh, but I had a good weekend. It wasn't bad. So um, anyhow, so we're at Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 20, if you're looking to follow along. And uh, it reads like this. Formerly, when you did not know God... You were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as... I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. That's a pretty vivid illustration. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. End of reading. Well, uh, there is a lot there. And, um, you know, basically what you just heard is a very personal pastoral part of Paul's letter to the Galatians. Uh, if the rest of this letter is very highly doctrinal and very focused on getting the Galatians to think about what it means to be justified by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone, which really is central to this letter. This part right here, Paul sort of wears his, well, for lack of a better term, his pastoral heart on his sleeve. Uh, I have found uh, over the years that most people I interact with on a regular basis outside of church, and even I'd say a good number of people in the church, don't actually know like what pastors do uh, during during the day or during their week. I, I can remember many times sitting oh, maybe getting a haircut or something or being on a plane and meeting somebody and them finding out that I'm a pastor and them <laughs> saying, well, what, what else do you do? What do you do for work? You know, because, <laughs> and I get it. I mean, you know, from a certain perspective, it doesn't look like there's a lot to it. As my, uh, my littlest boy has described it, uh, daddy, your job is to get up and talk to people for a long time. That's, uh, <laughs> that's the way he sees it. Uh, but in reality, being a, a pastor is supposed to be a lot more than that. 
uh, it is supposed to be uh, something. It is supposed to be the care of souls, the care of sheep that God has placed under our uh, under our ability to oversee or His ability to oversee through us. And and so that's really what you're seeing laid out for us in the passage today with with Paul. Uh, Paul is is speaking to them as their pastor, and what he says he's in anguish about is really in verse 19. He wants to see Christ formed in his people. Now, now, what does that mean? Well, the word for form there is the word morphu, where we we get the word morph, like like we were morphed into something. Uh, what does a pastor really want to see in his people? Well, he really wants to see them morphed into people that really believe that Christ has done it all, that really believe Christ is carrying them, that really do walk in the confidence and assurance that comes with knowing Jesus Christ. And when the sheep of the congregation do not walk in the assurance that come with Jesus Christ, then it does cause the pastor some difficulty and anguish personally. And so so Paul's going to talk about three things that need to happen in their life that he urges them to do in order to see Christ morphed into them or them morphed more into seeing Christ as, as all-sufficient. And so first of all, in verses 8 through 11, he tells them they need to reject some things, namely their old idols. Now, if people think about what pastors do for any length of time, usually the assumption is that the thing that gets us down the most is people continuing to sin. So if someone is unfaithful to their wife that seemed to be doing so good in their uh, spiritual life or someone slides back into an addiction or any number of sinful acts, people think that this must be really devastating to, to me as a pastor. But to tell you the truth, I have found in, in my years of pastoral ministry, the much more devastating thing to me is when people have attended the church for years, gone to Bible studies for years, heard the preaching of the gospel over and over and over again, and yet when push comes to shove, still fall back on their works for assurance and to save them. I've heard it, and every pastor's heard it before, and it's difficult to hear that because we're laboring, at least at least I am, to show that, no, really, Jesus, when he said it's finished, he meant it. It really is enough, that his life, death, and resurrection is enough for us. And yet, even as I say that, as a pastor, I'm prone to the same thing, to falling back on my works, and so I understand it. So Paul writes in verse 8, you know, get rid of that idol. He says, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, oh, how important that is. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Now, do you hear the angst in Paul's voice here? That is the angst of a pastor speaking to his flock as they refuse to listen to him. You can hear him pleading, you were free from this thinking that your works were what saved you because now God knows you. No, you. I mean, it's so let it go. Stop going back to that. This is what the apostles who had, these supposed apostles that had come into the church in Galatia were teaching the people that they had to do more. They had to be more. And this is what Paul says is an idol. It's something that they are looking to instead of Christ, their own works. And so he goes on in verse 10, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Now, I'm going to be, I don't know how many of 
you watching this are pastors or have been pastors or been around pastors, but I will tell you that I think every pastor to some degree or another has asked that question, not necessarily because of the people they're serving, but just because, well, the devil is real and pastors can be insecure as well. And the question is, am I laboring in vain? Is it making any difference? Is what I'm doing actually leading people to greater freedom and greater security because of the gospel of grace? Every pastor's asked that question, I think. And Paul asks the same thing because in this letter at this point, he is not merely the great apostle Paul. He is Pastor Paul to the churches in Galatia. So he says, reject that old way of thinking that your works are going to do it. Reject it again. Don't go back to that. But then he gives a second exhortation towards this Christian formation or morphing, and that is imitation. Look at, uh, he says, now, I mean, that does sound strange because, of course, we're all sinners, and Paul was a sinner. Romans 7 makes that very clear. Uh, Galatians 5, the next chapter, he'll make it very clear that he's not perfect, and none of us are perfect. But nonetheless, in verse 12, he says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. And the word for entreat there is another way of saying, I'm begging you. Do you hear, once again, his pastor's heart here? What's he begging them to do? Become as I am. Now, again, at first, that sounds strange to the modern ear. But what he means here is not so much that you have to become the moral beacon that I am, but rather, it means you have to become a person that learns to depend on Christ, as I do. But there's also a second reason. And of course, he does say, um, he does say that become as I am because I have become like you are. In other words, Paul is saying, or in other words, just as I became like you when I ministered to you, become like me. And just as a pastor should be able to say to his people, become like me, trust me, follow me, follow, follow what I'm teaching, a pastor should also be able to say, for I've become like you. I seek to minister to you where you're at in life. I seek to make my teaching uh, understandable. I, I will eat the foods that are placed in front of me. I adapt to your various customs. Now, Go back in the same direction to become like me, Paul says. Try and relate to me too. And, and as he writes in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. And then he gives a list of the ways that he's done such a thing. And I think that's what he's talking about here. And he's saying, you know, I've, I, I, I've tried to serve you and come to where you're at. Come to where I'm at. Come to where I'm at. And and where I'm at is looking to Christ and Christ alone and not to customs and works and Sabbath days, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Become like me in this way, Galatia. And then there's finally a third exhortation Paul gives towards Christian formation. And that is, that is affection. As he continues in this very pastoral section, he says, you did me no wrong at the end of verse 12. You know, it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. Now, we're not exactly sure what bodily ailment Paul had that first brought him to the Galatians, but we do know he appeared to have many physical problems. It probably had something to do with, something to do with his eyes. That's probably why he says later on in here, 
you would have gouged out your eyes for me if if I needed you to. Um, but nevertheless, his his point is when when he initially preached to them, they loved him, they accepted him, they brought him in, they thought the world of him, they took care of him. But now, verse fifteen, what then has become of your blessedness? I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. So Paul's saying, you know, at one t- at the beginning, you guys were received everything I said, but now it looks like you're turning your back on me because some teachers came in and told you that it's that I somehow didn't do it right or I didn't give you enough. And so he writes, verse sixteen: Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? And again, this is something that uh, pastors struggle with. Have I become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? I'll, again, just being, being real, since this is a very pastoral section, uh, pastors do, I mean, we struggle with, with wanting to, um, you know, cover over hard truths. We want to, you know, uh, we don't want to preach certain things because it makes us uncomfortable too. That's a real thing. Um, and yet we're charged by God to preach to you the whole counsel of God and to give to you all of scripture and so that means inherently sometimes there's going to be things that are going to make you feel uncomfortable. And um, anytime we're preaching the law for what it is that doesn't allow any wiggle room for the human being to actually contribute to their salvation, there's going to be offended people. There's going to be scandal. There's going to be people upset. And Paul is, is dealing with that. Have I then become an enemy by telling you the truth? Well, Paul is... Obviously, wearing his heart on the sleeve here, and yet it's all because he just wants to see Christ formed in them. And so he says, in in conclusion to the passage, these false teachers, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. In contrast to Paul, like, I'm telling you the truth, these people are pumping you up. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. These false teachers are flattering you so that you will flatter them and exalt them, but they're just telling you what you want to hear. But Paul says, it is always good to be made much for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. So here's the the contrast in this, this passage here. Paul, desiring to see people only depend on Christ, is in anguish as he sees them go back to these old, this old works righteousness mindset that the false teachers are bringing in. And the way they're doing it is by, be, by giving flattering words. Now, I find this, I find this fascinating. Uh, what is more flattering than a teacher telling you, you can do it, you can do it. You're the best. You can do it. Just a little more work. There's nothing more flattering than being told that you're crushing it spiritually, um, at least at first. But eventually, it'll kill you. And Paul knows this. Paul's been down this road. And he says, they're only telling you that because if they flatter you, then you think they're the best. And boy, do we see this today in the church. All number of pastors can get up there and tell you, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. But a pastor who's telling you the truth says, no, you can't do it. But Christ has done it, and that's enough. Depend on him, and you're going to be fine. So that's what a pastor, at least 
a biblical pastor really wants more than anything else for his sheep. It's not about having a dynamic church. It's not about having a big reputation. It's not about, you know, any of that other stuff that gets held up as being the <laughs> end-all, be-all. It's just about people learning to depend on Christ more and more. And to the degree that that happens, then a shepherd is working towards what his main goal is. So, all right, gang, next week we'll continue with our series in Galatians. We'll finish out Galatians chapter four. Then we'll get into Galatians chapter five, where Paul has some of the most choice words in all of scripture uh, to his enemies in the gospel. And you will see that, again, the Bible is not always as clean and antiseptic as you may have been told earlier in life. So thanks for watching. We'll see you uh, next week. God bless.